Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mental Health Today. I'm your host, Ken Stearns. And uh, just another beautiful day. I'm here in Colorado on my journey with the jar. You saw the van there. And as I mentioned in, the, in, that, in that kind of prequel, uh, I wanted to get on the road and start interviewing people and find out what, what is that common thread uh, that people will tell me through the stories in the jar. And it really came out, I, I didn't see this one coming, you know, I don't know why, but it, it was a mental health. And mental health was the common denominator, the thread that ran through all the, you know, the 280 stories that we've got across 85 cities. And, you know, we're in a mental health crisis. And so we started this podcast in, uh, in March uh, to kind of highlight people who are, have fallen into the business or fallen into helping the crisis and, and how they've gotten there and hearing a little bit of their story about how they got here and more of a story about how they're helping and what what are they seeing that you know what are they working on that they're doing how can we help them and what are what are some of the other things that we should be looking at so it's really you know we've got a crisis and how are we gonna you know how are we gonna put our noodles together and, and figure out how to do it and I I've read you know I've I've heard some great stories uh, along the way and boy I gotta say Eric you know as we were talking as we were talking kind of offline man you've you know <laughs> your personal story is is heartbreaking and gut-wrenching, uh, but in the end, beautiful. And, uh, you know, I just want to welcome to the show and thank, you know, and thanks for carving out some time. I know you're really busy and you got a lot going on. I really appreciate you helping support the show. Oh, pleasure to be on and, and obviously appreciate the intro of that the story is both tragic and beautiful at the same time. I don't know that when you're in the thick of it, you know that the beauty is going to come, right? <laughs> um, and, then, and then you were definitely not. It uh it gives you that that perspective that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, why don't you share with the share with the audience a little bit? Um, maybe you could even start with a little bit of what you're doing today. I think you know it's kind of a good, interesting. You can kind of carve that out and and then maybe just kind of jump back a little bit into the history, of how that kind of how you launched in there, and then we'll get into, you know, we'll get into um, same here global for sure, for sure. I was I was saying to Ken off off camera, you know, it's it's. I'm happy to share my story in a shorter segment here because <laughs> so often the the focus of a full hour, you know, session, yeah. something like that is, is to go deep into the story. So I'll give the cliff notes version. Hopefully it'll still do a, uh, a service to, to setting us up for the rest of the conversation. So great sports executive my whole life after being an athlete growing up and then playing even in college and went to go work for the NBA league office, a number of NBA, WNBA, NHL teams, Found myself down in Florida with the Panthers, with the team that currently just made the Stanley Cup final, was their chief revenue officer with the ownership group that took them there just now. So great group of, group of men and women that I was enjoying working with. But I was only six months into my tenure there, and my brain and body just gave out on me. What we hear in this space about you know crashes, what we hear about a, quote, nervous breakdown back in the yes. day, we didn't know what that was, right? Well, mental health was never on my radar screen. So when I'm laughing a little bit when you say men and women who kind of found themselves in this space and didn't necessarily intend yeah. to be, 
well, uh, my, the life kind of punched me in the face and said, Eric, this you're going to be in this space because you first got to get yourself out of this <laughs> before you ever then decide to do something positive in it. But the story there is, you know, absolute dysfunction, cognitive abilities gone, executive functioning gone, couldn't look at people in the eyes and have conversations, couldn't remember meals off a menu. And I went and I did what we are told to do as good boys and girls in yeah. the community, which is you go to the doctor to get help. And what yes. does getting help mean? It means getting the diagnosis so that you know what's wrong with you so that you can get the drug or the fix that makes you better, yep. right? And and that's the that is in fairness to that model and the people that 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 go down that path. When you're sick, when you're younger, and you have streptobronchitis and pneumonia, you go to the family care practitioner. They give you the bubblegum tasting liquid medicine before you can swallow a pill, and you feel better in two days. So you, why you do wouldn't you think that's the path towards getting better? Oh, by the way, double down on that. We see cartoon commercials where you've got someone that goes from a sad face and a gray cloud. 15 seconds into the 30 second commercial, a pill is introduced. And now all of a sudden there's a smiley face and the gray clouds go away and the sky is blue, right? So you don't think it's going to be that easy, but as a stubborn SOB who wants to get better, my thought is give me whatever you need to give me docs and I'm going to feel better. Yeah. Well, that was two and a half years of absolute dysfunction, 50 different psychotropic wow. drug combinations, just laying in the bed, not being lazy, unable to function, had to be reminded to eat. Eventually, TMS therapy, where they shoot electromagnetic waves into your brain, 23 sessions of that. First ever suicidal ideation in a major way that I ever had came uh, 23 days into that. I found myself looking at a bottle of pills on a counter, and I couldn't stop the – not a voice, not a hallucination. The thought, swallow the bottle, swallow the bottle, swallow the bottle. And I had enough wherewithal, I guess, within my cognitive prefrontal cortex part of my fighting brain <laughs> against my mammalian brain going, you don't want to do that? Why are, you, why are those yeah. things in your mind? That I went inpatient to the psych ward. And again, something that you brought up before the show started, which was, Eric, you had ECT? Well, when a, when a top doctor with a Harvard degree looks you in the eyes and looks at every drug that you've taken in the TMS and goes, you've tried everything there is, your last resort is to do ECT, which I call shock therapy, but I know that's sometimes a little bit taboo to call that. Yeah, shocked <laughs> into seizure twelve times, right? And and we don't, we you can dive into that if you want of the misery later on of, of what no. therapy's like. But I left the hospital feeling no better than I had the two and a half years prior. Essentially, thinking my life is over because I'm this thing called treatment resistant, and there's no way to get me better unless Merck or Pfizer invent some miracle pill that works. Yeah, where the other ones had right. And where the story changes, and then you know we can get into the the crux of, of the conversation around the concept of the same here, is I met with a woman who practices integrative psychology. I didn't know what the term integrative meant. She sat me down on the couch, and unlike every other appointment I'd been to where they ask you, Eric, nice to meet you. What are your symptoms? Okay, based on your symptoms, here's your diagnosis. And you're given this set of labels from the DSM-5. And then based on your diagnosis, here's how we're going to treat you. And this drug fixes the chemical imbalances that is that label she treated the appointment very differently and even very differently than if people think this sounds like talk therapy. It was not. This was not. Let me find out about the relationship between you and your mother. It was yes. Eric, couch is yours to be your stage for the next hour. I want to hear how you tell the story of your life. Tell me about your life. And so think about being asked that question that way for anyone who's listening. Right. Like, how would you go all the way to the beginning and how would you tell the deal? Because I would tell the story of Ken's life different than Ken would. Because yes. live through it in a certain way, whereas I'd be watching it a certain way, right? 
So in my particular case, the crux of what came out of me was I had an older brother who was four years my senior. From the time I was eight years old, he broke his femur bone, was put into a body cast for a year in homeschool. Healed from that, a month later, gets diagnosed with ALL, which is a children's form of leukemia. So five years of chemo and radiation, late 80s, early 90s, not the best prognosis, but miracle. He goes into remission after five years. Month later, he's in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends, open top, no seatbelt in the back. Car loses control. He flies on the back, lands on his head, cracks his head open, loses partial vision in his eyes, and ICU for a month. Heals from that, goes to college, feeling a pain in his knee. Same cancer from childhood's returned, and now that it's returned, they have to give him a stronger dose of the chemo. Does a great job on the white blood cell counts, but it also beats the shit out of all the healthy cells. So now it sends his body into septic shock, 105 fever, falls into a coma from the septic shock. The neurologists tell us they don't know if he's going to wake or have any brain activity. Miracle after three months of being in a coma with no activity whatsoever, full cognitive faculties about him, speaking perfectly, but his kidneys fail from the rigor of the septic shock. So we get tested to see who's the closest mass. My father is donates a kidney to him. That's all successful. I get my first job at the NBA, blank slate, real world, get to start over from scratch. Three of my close friends pass away back to back to back of either misdiagnosed or undiagnosed heart conditions, right? So I share that level of detail, Ken, and then we can go into the rest of it because yeah. what the doctor shared back to me was, was the crux of what you're saying you realize on your JAR show. She said to me, Eric, I got to pause you. We got 10 minutes left. What else happened to you as a child and a young adult that impacted your mental health that I need to know about? And I said, what are you talking about? You asked me to tell you about my life. I'm, I'm from age four to age 22, 23 right now. I'm 35 years old currently sitting in your, in your couch. Yeah. That was 12, 13 years ago. What do you mean that impacted my mental health? Now, that may seem like a very ignorant take. I can tell you from traveling around the country and working with everyone from the Dallas Cowboys to J.P. Morgan Chase to small universities, that is the common take, that there is a disconnect between our lived experiences not that the concept of trauma and A scores isn't out there, yeah. but the concept of the accumulation in our nervous system over time and how it wreaks havoc on this connection between our brain and our body, yes. that's disconnect. And that's what people don't understand. Case in point is the pandemic right now. Oh, the pandemic, it messed with my mental health, it messed with my mental health. Oh, but the pandemic's over now, so I could go back to business as usual. Yeah, Schools can go back to making up the learning loss. And what they're not realizing is there's an accumulation of what you live through that yes. impacts the vagus nerve, impacts how the amygdala functions, impacts the, how porous your gut becomes, mm -hmm. impacts how much your cells become inflamed. That doesn't just get fixed because that crisis or event is over. It's you need to yeah. work on healing that. <clears throat> so I hope that gets you to at least a point where I'm happy to go beyond there. But from a realization standpoint, I can take you what came from that and how the business got built. But I at least wanted to give you the background of the, the what I went through and then the meeting with the doctor and then the realization, holy shit, like this is something that is, is bigger than just me right now because it's not just my story. It's impacting way more people than I think. I, and, and that's, I think, the, the, the interesting part I want to get to, which is at some point you realized, okay, I figured I've kind of been through the whole system. Yep. And I think, I mean, I don't know a lot, but I think I've kind of got something figured out. There, there might be yeah, a disconnect. So, so Donna, that doctor um, that I met with, she said, okay, Eric, uh, if you were at an NBA basketball game when you were an executive and you had a nice suit on, 
And these seven-foot athletes were running up and down the court and sweating as they did, and the sweat flew off them and hit you. Or they dove for a loose ball and they landed in your lap. You would go home after the three-hour game, put the suit away for the dry cleaner, take a shower, put a nice new suit on the next day, and you'd come back into work, nice looking nice and clean and fresh. You had a front row seat, but it wasn't for an NBA basketball game. It was for the game of life. And the game of life was represented by your bro- brother in a muddy wrestling ring and your friends in a muddy wrestling ring. And there were other muddy wrestling rings on the floor in front of you, but those were the two main rings. And you you knew the, ma- the matches were going on. It's not that you didn't know they were happening. What you didn't pay attention to is every move they made to try to pin the game of life, the mud was splattering and hitting you in your suit and splattering and hitting uh... you in your suit. And you were so focused on everything else around you, the jumbotron and the LED lights and the music and the fans dancing that you didn't pay attention to the mud. And you didn't just sit there for three hours like you did an NBA game, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years, 35 years. You've been sitting in the same seat. I'm surprised you didn't come here sooner and that this crash didn't happen before. So she gave me credit from a resiliency standpoint. She's like, I don't know how you did it, but you somehow got to this point. And eventually your body said, there's too much mud and tar that's built up on there. You're falling to the ground. I'm out. I'm out. What, What was that? Yeah, I'm out. The body's like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. And and when I, here's the thing, when I heard that, Ken, I was like, to your point about how it impacts all of us, I said, take me out of the equation. If all it takes is having a front row seat to watching so many things happen to other people in our lives, take the average 15 year old, let alone a 35 year old, watch your parents get into fights and have a divorce, watch your parents lose their job and potentially lose the house. Watching your two best friends fight it out and lose their friendship and being involved and being in the middle of that awkwardness. Watching your friend being bullied or verbally abused or hearing about them being sexually abused or dealing with the sickness of a loved one or a loss of Mm. a loved one at a young age. Like, I don't know a 15-year-old, let alone a 35-year-old, 55-year-old, or 85-year-old who hasn't dealt with one summer, many of those things, hence the name of our organization, same here, you and I were the same, is because... Every one of us goes through mental health challenges, but that's not the message. We talked about the pharmaceutical industry before. That's not the message that pharma wants out there. Because if you normalize mental health, you normalize help seeking in a way that people are proactive. And so you might say, isn't that good, Eric? More and more people, that they're going to go get a solution. No. Yeah. More and more people will do the things they need to do to get in front of it. And there won't be this binary system. So right now there's a binary system in place. I'm either sick and I have it. I'm part of the one in five group that has depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD. And when I have it, I need Mm. the drug to fix me. Okay. Yes. And all the other people who don't believe they have it, they're a ticking time bomb. Like we are with physical health, sitting on a couch, eating nachos and French fries and cheeseburgers, waiting for the heart attack to happen. And why do we lose so many people to suicide where the story goes, not them, you never would have thought, right. is because they're passive and they don't know they need to work on this, okay? Yes. So all those statistics about people with mental illness or the ones that die by suicide, you look at the numbers, how impulsive suicide is. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can only interview people who've survived the suicide attempt, not that we've lost a suicide attempt. You look at Harvard's most recent numbers, 85% of people who attempted suicide and survived the thought came to them within an hour of their attempt. Okay. Wow. Take that a step. Take that a step further. Twenty-five percent within wow. uh, within a half hour, and twenty-two percent within five minutes of the attempt. 
These are impulsive thoughts that come over us because our nervous system gets overwhelmed. Okay. And so the issue is we're treating it like, oh, it's a them problem when they get this thing called an illness because it's either genetic, mostly in nature, but yeah, some of the lifestyle things build up. And we're not looking at it like this is a brain body thing that happens physiologically in our body from the yeah. life situations we live through. And we need to proactively work on it and get healthy. And, and so how is, how is same here set up? What, what's the, how does that integrate into this, this idea of, you know, getting off this binary system, you know, yeah. you're sick, you're not sick. And I mean, it's a great system because the, the 25, the 20% just keeps, you know, 10% stays and 10% you it, just, you, you, ah, I love that just, you just said it, that because it's, most, it's most people, when I give the one in five, four and five, they understand the concept that the, the 80% right? The four and five don't think there's anything wrong with them, but you took it the next step further. And that's the insidious part about this message is the, the group of the 80% that keeps going into the 20% group because they're not doing anything about it. That's why they have a revolving door of more and more people. And we've got 25% of our population on psychotropic drugs now more than any other Western country, right? What? So to Are you kidding me? Is that a, that's a stat? 250 out of every 1,000 people. Now, why they do the stats out of every 1,000 um, citizens, I don't know. Like, why don't they just say the percentage or why don't they say one in four, right? But they do it out of every 1,000. And yeah, out of every 1,000 people, 250 people are on a medication for their mental health. Psych, psych, not just, I mean, we're not, we're not talking like a, a statin or something. These are like no, no this is mind altering drugs. Yep, your your benzos, your SSRIs, your SNRIs, your Whoa. MAOIs, your tricyclics. Yep, absolutely. Whoa. Antipsychotics, yep. So so you look at the look I mean the stats are crazy when you look at it compared to European countries and you look at even a Canada for that matter, we are taking way more. And 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 not to go off tangent Ken, but when people say that the US when we look at other issues in society Oh, don't blame mental health. We have the same mental health issues that other countries have. I call a big BS on that. Nah, that doesn't mean that we don't have other things that contribute. But I'll say this. When you are giving twice the amount of mental health medications to our population than you are to other populations, and the black box label on those medications says things like suicidal ideation and homicidal ideation, guess what? You're going to have more outcomes of those things, Right. And, and, oh, yeah. and I'm, a, I'm a leader of a nonprofit organization. You asked about our setup, which I'll get to. I don't mind saying the uncomfortable, which is when someone shoots up a building, part of the reason is mental health. I'm not saying the whole thing, but I can I can say that without oh. being derogatory and damaging towards the space of people who are working on their mental health. We have to be real. You can't be Absolutely. of sound mind and healthy and kill 10 people, 12 right. people, five people, and you be mentally healthy. That's not possible. So why are we running away from that reality instead of actually wrapping our arms around and go, well, okay, a bunch of sides that have different opinions here. Let's all work on all the solutions together. It's mind boggling to me, but it's, that's what politics are, right? It, it's that, yeah, just for that one, and just for a sec, just to add a yeah. comment on that is I, I totally agree. This is a weird thing, right? We have somebody that does this, kills 10 kids. And we immediately go into gun, no gun debate. And everybody just completely skips over the part that this person was mentally ill. They were need, They were in desperate need of help and we failed them. And as a result, people got hurt. 
and and got killed. And we had a lot but, of tragedy. And, and Ken, I'm going to take it a step further because if anyone dares <laughs> to mention mental health or what you call mental ill health into the conversation when a mass shooting happens, the comeback to it is as someone who suffers with a mental illness, you're more likely to be a victim of a mass shooting than you are to perpetrate a mass shooting. That's okay. That, fine. That's that's a right. That, that's a statistic. <laughs> that still doesn't mean that the person that took a gun on people I, didn't shoot people. Those yeah, two things, they're not mutually exclusive, right? Yeah, they, like, can, they can exist together. They, they can exist together. And so we as a society, because of staying in our political lanes, and this is what drives me crazy, I go, if there's a side that wants more gun control and there's a side that says it's mental health because they don't want more gun control or because they really believe it's mental health, Get the hell in a room together and figure out how you both compromise instead of both saying on the opposite side and going, no, it's this. No, it's this. Sorry, we're sticking up for our constituents who believe that it's this one thing yes. and we're going to get reelected because we're standing up for that one thing. That's what perpetuates the issue continuing to get worse. Yeah, man. So anyway, all right. Yeah. Structure, structure is same here. I know we could probably get past it. So. So we started in a nonprofit umbrella at the end of 2017, really the beginning of 2018, okay. because I had relationships in the sports world, Ken. So Theo Fleury is an NHL hockey player who's the first guy, you being in Colorado yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. He's tied to Colorado in some way. He played yeah. for the abs for a little bit and he's got a great picture of his face being all bloodied when he got in a scrum with someone that, that goes all over the internet. But Theo was the first guy I partnered with in a, in a nonprofit umbrella. Why? Because Theo did not lead with I'm Theo Fleury with PTSD, which is what every campaign around entertainers still oh, is no. to this day oh, no. in the mental health space. Theo led with I'm Theo Fleury. I was raped over 150 times by my male coach when I was 15 years old. It led me to this thing called emotional pain. The emotional pain led me to this thing called drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, all while I was playing my 15-year NHL career. It made me lose my $50 million that I made so I didn't have a penny to my name when my career was over because I was trying to cover up the pain yeah. that I was feeling. Pain. And I had a gun in my mouth about to end it all right when I retired. Now, thank God he went on this healing journey and now he helped so many other people. He's a, he's a god up in Canada to men. He's politically uh, opinionated, so some love him, some, some don't on the politics side. But when it comes to hockey, he's beloved. And so... Yeah. I needed to partner, Ken, with people like him who are willing to say, let's flip this mental health script. Hence, again, same here. It's not for one in five with mental illness. It's for five in five who face challenging life events that impact their mental health. And there's not a person who doesn't have a story. Let's all share them, right? And so when we started doing that, Hayden Hurst in the NFL comes on board and Shamika Holtzclaw from oh, the yeah, WNBA. Right. And then DJ Scribble, you know, from, from uh, MTV back in the day. And it was just this, this overwhelming influx. Don't get me wrong. I had to tell my story hundreds of times to, to, to help yeah. them understand what I was trying to build. So our messaging wing lives in the nonprofit umbrella where nice. we bring that message through social channels, through events and programming out at the schools and offices, et cetera, to normalize conversations around how everyone's got a story and mental health lives on a continuum and it's not binary. That is an awesome model. The problem is that doesn't grow without having a for-profit brother sister that can feed into that and or uh... spending a ton of time hiring people, which I didn't have the resources for at the time, to go after grant funding and to go so chase that your money. Profit message can can spread. It, so 
it's interesting. I just probably just jump in real quick before you get to yeah. the next part. Um, it's very it's interesting because that's how I've put my nonprofit together, which is re- recognizing I don't want to go chase money on that on that model. I need an ecosystem that feeds the nonprofit. And so I need some of these businesses to get functional, to get profit generating or, or at least revenue generating and spin that back in so we can do it. You can. I mean, I, I didn't I've never been an entrepreneur before. I huh. worked in sports and I had to drive revenue for large businesses with large brands. I had no idea how to start a company and make money. And so what I did was, to your point, I only know how to build programs. Okay, I'm going to start building programs and I'm going to see where the white space is to go into offices, to go into service departments like Nellis Air Force Base and NYPD and Department of Defense, to go into sports teams like the Cowboys and the Islanders and the Florida Panthers and help them change culture and do it through programming where there is a fee structure involved that enables us to generate revenue so that we can start doing more on the nonprofit that gives back in places that there's need, right? You know, then you start talking about scaling that message and putting the money that you generate into technology that allows you to provide it in a wider way. And these are things you don't think about as the average person. You don't think about how am I going to build a message, maintain the message, eventually uh, uh, be able to water the seeds on the message and then scale the message so that I can help more people. That is that is not how the average person <laughs> thinks, right? That That's someone Absolutely. who goes Definitely the, not. The, yeah. You, like, and I'm learning, and, and it sounds like, Ken, you have also from your, from your, from your comments that you made about, you know, building sustainable businesses around yeah. the nonprofit. I've had a lot of people through LinkedIn, you reached out on LinkedIn. I've had a lot yes. of people yeah. on the, on the, let's just call them advantageous investment side of things who sees mm. that we're connected with athletes, that we've got a brand that is a colorful looking, engaging yeah, brand. Cool brand, yeah. We, brand and that we engage in, in go and that we've proved the concept so to speak and that we have some legitimate partners that people come to me and go eric I, you got you got a, a a fire there that i can pour kerosene on top of let's go let's do this and then you talk to them and the problem is i can say this to you because we work in the same space i look at what calm and what headspace did and i go i don't want to go down that route i don't yes, want to become yeah the people who are taking money from the you know big time investors and going, you got me a 10 extra term, but I want 15 and I want 20 and I want 50. I don't mind having pressure. I mind when the pressure makes you change your message. And our oh, message yeah. is an educational yes. message. Our message is not a, you're sick. I've got the fix for it. Here's what you take, get 10% happier in 10 days guaranteed. Use this meditation app. Ours is let us sit with you and teach this to you. And 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 until you learn it, we're going to be by your side helping you. I don't care that I make less money doing that. And I don't care that it takes a longer time to grow it. I want to see the world change and for them to learn what I had to learn the hard way for them to learn it easier. Yeah, a little. I, I do think if, if, you know, if you are able to impact, I do think it's a one to many because I've seen this, like yourself, you know, you're one person that went through this and then, you know, you're on the other side, you're helping many more people. And that's been the co- one, of, one of the common threads among people that have used their mental health journey and, the, and overcoming it. And when they're, f- and then they, like you, many people, if they turn their sights on, I'm going to get involved in this, I'm going to make a difference. And they make, and they make a difference in more people, which is really, so I think this education part for me is one of the most critical spaces we can play. I, I'm I'm all about root cause. I'm all about preventative. 
you know, my business career was root cause guy. I mean, am I, you know, screaming at people for, you know, fixing okay. symptoms and, and, you know, sitting in boardrooms talking about, you know, why is this, you know, with these numbers and this numbers. And I'm like, well, you know, if you had two, two, two brain cells to rub together, you'd build a fire and you'd figure out that, you know, there's a reason why those numbers look like that. Let's go to that part. Oh, so it is, I think the two things, one is, a, you know, awareness, the comfort, the things you're doing and that education, man, it's for when it happens to us or it happens to somebody close to us, we're there. We, we got a clue. Look, the, here's here's the crazy thing. The models, even in the health space, they're there already. They just not caught up on the mental health side yeah. of things. So I'll give you two very case in point examples. American Heart Association did an incredible job educating people in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't know when they came around. I'm doing it before I was born. Yeah. I know for me it was in the 80s at least. You're right. But you're they right. got you with a cute figure with a cartoon heart, jumping rope and playing basketball. That's right. They That's called right. it jump rope for heart and hoops for heart. And they made you thinking at they made you start to think at a young age. Wow, I don't want to die like grandpa did at 67 yeah. years old of this thing called a heart attack. I need to get my heart rate up and eat green leafy vegetables, right? If you yeah. took nothing else from that campaign but that, you were understood at a young young age to go, oh, I got to do something about it. Okay, that's one. Second, fire safety. That's a health thing, right? Stop, drop, and roll. We taught kids that. Yet you're telling me so we're not proactively teaching people what to do if they have suicidal ideation? We're, we're okay to tell people, here's what to look out for <laughs> in others, okay? Here, make sure they're not giving away their possessions or coming up with a plan. But we don't have people coming on stage going, I felt the ideations myself. This is what they feel like. Guess what? Yeah. You're not a Martian or an alien if you feel them. 15 million yes. people in the U.S. had major suicidal ideations last year. Here's how you calm your nervous system down when mm. you're feeling them in the moment so that you can come back to center and start to see the light outside yeah. of the tunnel why are we not doing that and the reason we're not doing it is it's hard costs more money it, it is and hard. the industries that make money on us being in the dark don't want that message out there. i oh, god man you know it's a brutal this is the part of the reality I'm really gonna have a hard time getting my head around it you know the education is shockingly and obviously absent it's a big business, man. There's a lot of money in dope. Legal dope. Look, and, and and okay, I'll give you a case in point example of this space is so wrought with fraud. So I'm going to call out my own state, okay? And, and someone may shoot me down for this, but that's fine. Kathy Hochul is the governor of New York, okay? Yeah. Green lights, millions and millions of dollars to go towards mental health. Okay, good. Where does that money go? I, I look at I look at the bill. Where is the money going? It's going to get mentally ill people off the street into the hospital and covered by insurance and then into halfway houses. So my mind goes, oh, so millions of dollars, zero of it is going towards educational programs in schools, into educational programs in the community. And instead, it's going to these large institutions like hospitals and like insurance companies that are going to kick her back money when she needs it for her campaign. For her campaign. Rinse, wash, repeat, do it all over again, right? That's and what kills me when I see stuff like that and that I, I, it's hard to look the other way. And you and you know there's going to be a BlackRock or somebody else that own, that is not right now owning and investing in millions and millions of halfway houses. Absolutely. 
I, I would, I, I'm a fearful, I love this stuff. I did see, you know, I mean, the white house has been pretty, they've, they've released a couple of nice memos and they've said some great stuff about mental health and they've got a strategy plan. And, but I, I do fear that all that is, is the, the, the flag, the green flag, the race start flag to open up legislation, which then does exactly what you just described, which is money that goes straight into the machinery and not into stopping people from being on the street. So now we're just going to get more, you know, a fresh batch on the street. Some of them are, are repeat, repeat guys who failed out and some of the new and, you know, another 200 million to the machinery. And we're not doing anything about prevention or education. I won't. I won't out anyone because it's not, it's not fair to do. But I, I, I'm not in this space to be a lobbyist in in DC and to and to work with folks mm -hmm. on Capitol Hill. I do more of like the the educational stuff as I was sharing in schools and in offices. But I've had a chance because of being in the space for five years to get on Zooms or to go in person with a lot of the folks who are our leaders are in Congress. They all have an idea for what the policy should be. They have no idea for what the programming should be underneath the policy. It's like talking a different language when I explain the programming. And so you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a, I'm going to write this in there to say this is needed and this type of money needs to go towards this type of initiative. And they don't know how to police that and to stay on top of that oh. to make sure that the oh, boots yeah, on sure. the ground is actually getting done. And then you have people that will come to them with that expertise if you will or that experience yeah sure of, of course interested in that they're interested in that when you go to the voting booths or you look, check their record they put the money towards outcome not a not a big deal because that gets lost in the all it is is dollars towards an issue that people seem to care about oh that's interesting well you know it's not like i mean i i think you and i i lived on the corporate side and and metrics and and you know ratios and and the analytics were crazy. It's one of the great things I enjoyed about it. And, you know, you're in the sports side. It's about, you know, probably the place that's the most mental around data and analyzing data. And I'm sure you had, you I'm sure you've had that, you know, a good experience around that. So, you know, for you and I, it's like, great, that's the money spent. Okay. Show me the, you know, and then it was applied to which programs. Okay. What kind of impact do we make? Show me the change. You know, how many less people are on this? Nah, yeah, we don't track well, that. Well, look, at a sports organization, using that as a microcosm, comparing it to what's happening, you know, in government, you have people who are responsible for the macro yes. going all the way into the micro, right? Yeah, so, down, down to some guy who does the exact, yeah, yeah. And so so that person, so you've got a director of analytics or, you know, Moneyball with, with if yeah. you want to talk on the, on, the, on the sports side, you've got that analytics piece. And even on the business side, you've got someone who's running your CRM and your database. Yeah. Well, guess what? That person who runs a database needs to be able to help the, the vice president of sales make a decision that they're going to allocate a certain amount of leads based on what the database is telling them. That's a higher likelihood for a higher close rate to get people into these things called opportunities in the sales funnel so that you can invite them out for appointments so you can sell a higher percentage of people so that in a market of X millions of people, you're able to fill 14 to 18,000 seats per game in your arena yep. 41 times out of the year. It's soup to nuts from the top all the way to the person on the ground. There are people who are yeah, held accountable. Banging on the phones. Yes, calls, appointments, everything. But with government, with making these big decisions, it's, yeah, we'll do the high-level stuff and write the check. And But we're writing to the check to the person 
that gives it back to us on the corporate level. And we're doing nothing on the ground where we're partnering with the community groups and making sure it's actually getting done and making change happen the way we need it to get done. How do we fix some of this? I mean, what Look, is, is the it way just do more of just I'll, keep doing what we're doing? Yeah. I mean, the only way that, so, so coming from the sports world, you'll love this because of your background. I partnered with the folks who are, I would call them they're they're the leaders in analytics on the business side in the sports space. It's called Baylor S3 program. Um, and so Baylor has a bunch of PhDs. And ironically, one of the PhDs who I became friendly with was diagnosed with this thing. I'm purposely using the term thing okay. called bipolar, right? And he didn't understand what was going on with him. And then when I sat with him and I explained to him, his name is Lane. Lane, you're not dealing with this separate cooties thing called bipolar the nervous <laughs> systems become dysregulated the yes. symptoms that you have look like this thing that gets clustered into this category called bipolar just the way that someone with schizophrenia might have hallucinations and that's their cluster of symptoms you still need an underlying root cause that led to there let us help you show yes. show you how that nervous system dysregulates then from that being paired with the doctors on our alliance i started learning about polyvagal Polyvagal is what helps explain the shifts in the nervous system. Dr. Stephen Porges developed it in 1994. Wow, there's a sympathetic and a parasympathetic nervous system. And the more we live through challenging life events over time, the more that sympathetic nervous system starts to build and you start to get natural reactions where you go, oh my God, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. That's dysregulation of the nervous system. Now, that's a very simplistic explanation yes. of it. But now to answer your question, we have a scale. Thriving, gliding, surviving, fluctuating, struggling, sinking. It's emoji faces so that kids can understand it all the way to CEOs when we work with them. Yeah. And there's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that come underneath each one of those six places so that you can self-identify where your nervous system is at at any given point. Well, it. since the nervous system is linear in that way and we can yes. watch the movements happen, why are we not tracking movements to a more positive spot or negative spot? I'm not saying analytics in terms of numbers zero to six, you plot that out on the back end, the zero to six, so that we can see the trends on yeah. the front end. You don't grade anyone on their mental health. You have them self-select how they're feeling, how they're doing on that yeah. scale. From that, we're able to take the data and go, wow, when the DeMar Hamlin situation happened up in Buffalo, guess what? Yeah. We saw a huge decrease in some of the outcomes of what some of the kids that were coming to school with, because they were fearing they just saw something that was tragic and traumatic and it totally adjusted their nervous system in a way mm. to be able to have data like that. You can eventually go to Congress with that and go, you can't deny that the programs that we do in schools and offices get people to a better place within their nervous system. So I think now I'll give you the facetious answer in physical health, temperature, weight, blood pressure, blood sugar, um, uh, cancerous cell counts, okay? I'm trying to get to the nitty gritty here now. Everything is in a range. You're able to give a range. In mental yeah. health, let's go back to why it's binary. Because if they can keep it binary, there is no range. And if there's no range, there's no way to report on it. And the only way to report on it is to say, we've got some more people that have DSM-5 labels. What does that do? Let's give more people the GAD-7 and the PHQ-9, specifically for disorder, when we diagnose more people, we can give more of them drugs. So they have no interest in having a numeric scale. 
or in our case, what overlays not numerically, but I'll call it a linear scale that we yeah. look at the numerics on the back end because they don't want people to go, oh, I can be proactive. You're telling me that when grandma passes away and I get to this place that your scale says is struggling, but I don't want to go to the sinking place where disassociation happens, yeah. but I can do these exercises that yes. move me back in the other direction. Cool. Let me do that. They don't want that. They want that person going to the sinking place and going, my life is screwed right now. What do I need to do to get better? I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Yeah. Business keeps coming through and 20, 25%, 250 out of a thousand, that'll become 30 and 35 unless we do something about it. it it's happening. Eric, man, I'm, I'm crushed. I'm at the end of my rope uh, on time. Um, I think I want to have it. And, and I'm, I, we're going to come back because if I can get you again, I want to share sure. some other ideas I've got. Uh, but this has been, I feel like we've just cracked, we've cracked the ed, outer edge of this thing. Um, I want to talk more about solutions with you in another show, another thought. Absolutely. How about Absolutely. some, how about some closing thoughts? Um, I mean, I think one of the main one for me right now is make sure how do people find you and how can they find out more about what you're doing? Absolutely. Thank you for asking the question. So website is samehereglobal.org, S-A-M-E-H-E-R-E global.org. Like same here as in you and I were the same. Yeah. The social channels are at same here underscore global. That's on Instagram, Twitter, pretty active most days. Okay. And you can always DM and get in touch with us. Parting shots in terms of leaving you with is I would say the biggest because of this binary model and because of the way that we look through this traditional DSM-5 model, we've taken away the most powerful thing that people need to survive, which is hope. Because when you get to a place of darkness, you think there's no way out and you have it. And let me be the first one to tell you, having fallen to the place that I fell to, there is always hope. Because I thought that there was zero. And I yeah. somehow, by the grace of whatever power you believe in, whatever connection to universe or faith or whatever you have, I got out of it somehow. So if I could have gone from that place where I was in the pits of hell and couldn't imagine enjoying things ever again... To now being able to function again, hmm. I know that you can. Knowing that there's linearity to that nervous system that you could come out of it, that should mean that you have hope. And you called, I'll, I'll end on this. You called the story beautiful. Why is the story beautiful? My partner, Dr. John Rosa, said the same thing. He said, what a beautiful thing your nervous system did to you. And I wanted to punch him through the phone when he said that. Because I was like, what do you mean? It was awful. He's like, Eric, your nervous system did exactly what it was supposed to do when oh, it needed to. It shut you yeah. down so that you didn't burn out more. And that's what it is. That's what you're feeling when you feel that way. Be okay with that as much as that does suck. And we'll talk next time. There's like practices that. you can learn that rehab the nervous system. Hey, maybe maybe that's a great thing to come back and we talk about is is talk about your scale and you know how that's working and how you're putting it where it's going and who the partners are. Yeah, let's um, let's clip it here. I want to thank everybody for listening. You know, this is just another wow. I mean, I'm just so I'm, I'm my head's a little spinning. I'm trying to like gra grab all my thoughts that I've got. Uh, great episode, great chat, Eric. I mean, you're a rock star for. Thank you, man. For making it through and then turning it into something powerful. And um, man, it's just, you, that's hats off. Hats off, Appreciate my friend. It. Thank you, buddy. Thanks again. Thank Thanks again, everybody. Um, I will see you on the other side. Hang around for just 30 seconds, Eric, and I'll see you in a minute. Sure. Yeah, loose, baby. But we're about to go and 
make this vessel with these great professionals yeah. in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're gonna go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.